0: I'm Kalen Wittenberg,
1: and I'm Santosh Sankar,
0: and this is Dynamo Discussions. Whenever you're ready, go ahead and introduce yourselves.
2: Hi, my name is Jake Bolling, I'm co-founder and CEO of Scoopos. Uh, Mike Glassman, co-founder and CFO.
0: All right, and y'all aren't the only founders. Who else is on your team?
2: Sure, so not with us today is Lynn Nguyen, who is our technical co-founder and CTO, and then Nam Nguyen, who's our director of engineering.
0: Cool, and tell us what is Scoopos?
2: So we're um, a data-driven retail automation software, so focused on convenience and liquor stores. Taking distribution data and actually plugging it through the retail system to allow them to run their stores more efficiently. And the convenience store industry is about 33% of U.S. retail, so a huge segment of that.
0: Okay, so what does scoopos do differently than other inventory management solutions?
2: Uh, sure. So inventory
3: management is really nothing new. There's other inventory management providers that are out there, but typically what we found is it's one-sided. So it allows the retailer to better manage their inventory, but it totally ignores the other end of the transaction, which is the distributors or the vendors that are selling into... That retailer. So the way that we look at it is really two-sided. So we have a solution that automates the manual process for the convenience store. It automates that inventory and delivery management. And on the flip side of that, we actually give real-time visibility to the distributors that sell in, so they understand real-time inventory levels, um, market basket data, and allows them to be more efficient um, and and better optimize routes and things like that.
0: So why did you do this? <laughs>
2: <laughs> why do you care, about, do you care about anything yeah. <laughs> that
0: has That's to a do great with that?
1: Question.
2: <laughs> um, well, Mike and I came together a couple of years ago with some nights and weekends projects, and one of which was kind of a culmination of both of our backgrounds. But we were essentially going out and finding distressed companies with unique intellectual property and investing or acquiring. And one of the first deals we did was actually a gas can business. So you think about the red gas can you fill up your lawnmower with. This was a version that was about the size of an iPad that popped open to hold a gallon of gas. It was very popular with convenience stores because they're small format stores and it takes up a lot less shelf space. Um, Ended up getting distribution into many chains across the country and we were trying to figure out, okay, how many do we need to produce this year? Um, Couldn't get that data from the convenience stores in terms of sell through, distribution levels, why it was selling, why it was succeeding in some areas, why it wasn't in others. And so we figured, you know what, we're a small CPG brand, let's talk to some bigger folks and see how they do it. Um, we talked to some of the larger beverage companies in the world, and they said, you know what, the convenience store channel is kind of a black hole for us. So we actually packed up a, a rental minivan and drove around the country for a couple of weeks and went door to door to convenience stores to understand their processes. And as we'd walk in, we'd see guys with a clipboard and a pen and paper counting Snickers bars or things of that nature. And and walking back to the fax machine and sending an order to their suppliers, and we thought, you know, this is pretty antiquated, but a, a huge opportunity for software to come into it. Um, and neither of us came from a software background, so never expected to really get that deep into the convenience store industry. But here we are.
1: So, if I purchase Scupos right now, what do I get? What can I see? What kind of intelligence am I earning and gaining through your solution? Sure. So. We'll build functionality over time, but right now um,
3: the sort of the, the the basic form of the product is actually that inventory management piece. So we integrate directly with the point of sale. So as items are purchased, they're actually scanned out and inventory depletes. Um, so what we found is that many convenience store owners or managers spend about 10 hours a week um, actually walking the aisles to take um, They typically have a scan gun, or if they have a pen and paper to actually look and say, okay, I'm low on this, I need more of this, a customer will walk in, they'll have to run behind the register, ring that customer up, and then come back out and actually start placing the delivery order again. Sure. So since we integrate directly with the point-of-sale, they get real-time inventory understanding, and so they can actually just... um, It really reduces that time right now to go out in the aisle and actually place orders. So we found on average we're cutting um, the ordering process in half for the convenience (laughs) store. And then the flip side, we're actually just providing that same data to the distributor. So the distributor now understands real-time inventory level at the convenience store.
0: How quickly did this move where you decided, okay, this idea is something that I actually want to start a company and actually pursue and kind of throw all my energy into? What was that process like? And and then how did you get where you are now?
2: Sure. So it, it was definitely an interesting couple of weeks for us out on the road. We Kind of while we were out there, we are just doing some windshield brainstorming, but had a few iterations of the model that we thought could work. And then we came back and had a few meetings and realized that really the, the piece that was most valuable about what we were doing was kind of this data-driven smart inventory setup. And so we kind of mapped all that out. We actually found one of our current engineers who was just kind of moonlighting for us at the time. We were paying him out of pocket. Um, built a demo dashboard to go out and show some folks and had a ton of interest in it. And so that's kind of when Mike and I looked at each other and said, okay, let's put all the chips in on this. And uh, Sunset some other projects we were working on and really devoted our time, recruited our technical co-founder and another engineer, and ended up down here in Chattanooga.
3: And I think, my
2: my guess is many of the
3: entrepreneurs you all speak with probably have similar journeys in the sense that as an entrepreneur, right, you, you see problems and try to think of solutions. And you sort of push with that, solution until you either get pushback or acceptance and you have to adapt and change that model as you go. So we had to change and pivot, but we used to joke a lot in the office that um, we were like, you know, today's gonna be the day that we'll call somebody and they'll they'll say, you guys are idiots, there's seven (laughs) people that are doing this right now. And we never had that, so it it was further evidence to kind of continue tinkering with what we're doing and actually build the platform. And um, as we got further along, uh, with our product as well as the thesis we were developing, um, we were able to adapt and pivot and really find some market acceptance, and that just kind of accelerated everything.
0: Have you always wanted to be an entrepreneur?
3: That one first? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. So I I tried as really kind of throughout my life, but first business that ended poorly was I started as a freshman in college, and then just kind of continued that up until now. So what was that business? Um, So you're probably familiar with, like, quibids, which you see on commercials and stuff. It's reverse auctions. So that was really popular in Europe at the time. And we saw that and figured nobody else is doing that in the U.S. right now. Um, It was a great lesson in trying to underutilize or underspend on resources. So we found a a dev shop in India, put 500 bucks of each of our money in, myself and a few co-founders. And as it was starting to ramp up on the campus that we started it at, that site started crashing so we were auctioning off xboxes and ipods and things mm-hmm. like that at the time and selling them ended up losing about 250 bucks a pop um so after a couple of weeks of losing money we called our parents and they said "This seems like a great idea but we're not gonna but no, <laughs> end, shut it not down not gonna happen shut it so, down um that was a great experience a lot of lessons. I still have a ton of T-shirts in my closet. If anybody wants one, <laughs> but yeah,
1: blast from the past. Yeah,
3: um, yeah. And I'm I'm the same. I mean, I, I I think since I was younger, I've always wanted to to start something. I, first of all, it's exciting to identify a problem and feel like you're actually building something that fixes it. And I think most people in that entrepreneurial journey are uh, you get addicted to that. Um, and so it's something I've always wanted to do. And I sort of took a, a sort of side path, I think, to get there and I um, went more the finance route, um, lived through the last decade in uh, finance. That I've, I've learned quite a bit in terms of preserving liquidity and things <laughs> like that. Um, it's been an interesting process, but it was always um, try to find a way to understand how businesses operate, the accounting and finance behind it, and use that to help start and grow a business.
0: I always think it's interesting, the kinds of people that start companies... Um what is it about you that you think makes you a good founder? Either one of you can take that.
3: That's an interesting question. Um I I think uh I I wonder if it's to be determined if I'm a good founder. <laughs> I obviously okay. I think I would always bet on myself. Um so I'm confident that I will this will be successful and we will be um successful founders, but I think um one of the things that I think makes me confident that we'll be able to do this is Um, and I I think Jake operates in the same way is that um, we've got an ability to to adapt quickly to kind of a changing environment so you have to kind of toe this line as you're running a business you have to be stubborn in some sense to say look I I know a way to do this better than other people that are doing it out there Um, but also not become too arrogant in that process and when something's not working you have to adapt quickly Um, I think a lot of the, the folks that fail early on um, maybe could have adapted quicker and changed. And I think part of uh, being successful is figuring out what, what you're doing that works and really push that
2: and being honest with yourself with things that don't work and, and change those things. Mm-hmm. I think Mike and I have a really interesting balance. You know, we, for the past long time, we've sat about six inches away from each other, either in a car, driving across the country, and now sleeping on two twin mattresses on the floor of a studio apartment as we build this company. So, <laughs> you know, we we, uh, we spend a lot of time together, but I think it's really lent itself to a good co-founder relationship. And Lynn fits into that as well. But, um, you know, Mike is very analytical, which I think is a product of his time spent on Wall Street. And I've kind of always been uh, just run and figure it out. So I think we balance each other as mm-hmm. well as we can. And it, it's proven itself out so far. And yeah, we're continuing to see success, so we're excited about that.
0: What are you each bad at?
2: Sleep.
3: Ah,
0: <laughs> that's pretty common. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, yeah, I think a fault of mine. I mean, um, I to Jake's point, I am analytical, and I, I think that's good in in some sense. And some sense, being analytical is just code word for finding reasons to say no, and that you don't. That can be a detriment as a as an entrepreneur. And I think Jake touches on. Um, that's, it's a good balance between the two of us because I do think you need some half of the group to at least say, hey, let's think about these things. Let's, mm-hmm. and But you don't want too much of that or you'll never get off the ground anywhere. So. Right.
1: Sure. Yeah. Take that and um, you had walked us through previously. You kind of discovered this problem, hit the road, did a lot of customer discovery. Talk about kind of the dynamics of your business. You have these two sides. Mm-hmm. How are you guys kind of thinking through the monetization of your product? How are you guys going to make money and kind of help us understand these two sides of the business, if you would, too? Sure.
3: Um, So if I take a step back just a little bit from there, um, the way we think about this business is there's 154,000 convenience stores uh, in the U.S., 60% of those are considered independents, which is defined as owners that own less than 10. So it's an extremely fragmented market. Um, And I think um, something that could cause sort of immediate failure for a young business without a large sales force is, if it's the two of us going door to door to convenience stores. Mm. That's a tough sales process. Um, So... Understanding how fragmented the business is and also understanding that there's large established distributors that really don't have access to anything like this today. The go-to-market strategy for us is um, we actually give a basic version of the software away for free to the convenience stores. Yep. Uh, what that does is allows convenience stores that um, really otherwise haven't had an avenue to, to have access to analytics or inventory management. They get that for free.
1: And you just hook into their existing solutions? or Yes.
3: You... Yeah, so um, there are about four main point-of-sale providers within the convenience store space. We actually integrate within those, conveni- uh, those uh, point-of-sale systems. Got it. Um, and so the, the convenience store, for a basic version, gets it for free, um, and then we charge the
1: distributors on a, a per-store, uh, per-month basis. And, and before you guys came around, it sounds like they were just operating in the dark by luck they would send a guy out he would fulfill it if he needed to if not you just move on to the next door
2: yeah <clears throat> i think typically what happens right now is it, especially for soda distributors or beverage distributors they'll send a sales guy out on a wednesday for example he'll walk into the cooler kind of do an eyeball inventory check write down the order put it in with his ipad and then talk to the store manager and try to upsell um, that's a 20 to 30 minute process they do 20 times a day. So, you know, particularly inefficient, especially with the way we're trying to tackle it. So now we can circumvent that entire process to say, okay, you know the store's inventory level prior to going in. You actually have a suggested order. So you walk in, you spend five minutes with the store manager, press the order, and then the truck comes the next day.
1: Got it. And Presumably large retailers have something that helps them do this, or is that not necessarily the case either?
2: Um, So Walmart's the most established kind of two-sided system. They have a program called Retail Link. And basically what they've done is passed on the responsibility of inventory management, sales data, and really order quantities to their suppliers. And so if a supplier screws something up and allocates too much inventory, it's on them to move it to another Walmart store that's hurting so what we've kind of built in is a little bit of a machine learning aspect where you can actually say, OK, product X is selling better in store A, so move that to store A, because in store B it was lacking.
1: Got it. That's, that's pretty awesome.
0: So what is your best day at Scoopos look like so far?
3: Um, that's a great question. So um, it's easy for us, and I, I feel like Jake and I uh, did this already when we talk about the vision of the business and our path. Um, in reality, we're relying on um, an incredible engineering team that we don't talk about enough. Uh, Lin and Nam have just been awesome. And so um, over the past several weeks, they've, they've made some um, really tremendous breakthroughs in terms of our ability to integrate with point of sale. It's, it's not an easy process um, to get started. Once you're integrated, then it, it's pretty easy. But um, they made some tremendous headways into that. Uh, integration process, and that's, um, I'm just, you know, it's, it, I, I was ecstatic to have that happen. So, just seeing us to go from one day something doesn't exist to the next day it does is an awesome feeling.
1: How do you guys balance that? Because right now you guys are running hard, you're running fast. Uh, your counterparts are engineers who think in a more serial manner. They're just trying to execute on your roadmap and your visions. How do you balance that? Because I'm sure there's some tension, which is healthy, but what are your kind of recommendations?
2: Sure. So we involve, from an early stage, we've involved Lynn in a lot of the kind of business development conversations. So he's actually understanding client needs. He's part of that feedback loop. And he can kind of sit in on some of the business development meetings that we have to understand where the business is going. So for him to kind of understand the roadmap product requirements and really opportunity that we have has really enabled him to be the driving force behind the engineering team to align with the business interests. Because I think oftentimes you have kind of the push and pull situation where things aren't necessarily aligning and the engineering team can get off track. Um, I think the integration of engineering and business is critical or has been critical to our success so far.
0: All right, I only have one more question, and that's what advice do you have for other founders out there?
2: I think a lot of it is kind of what Mike touched on earlier, but the ability to more or less take a punch. Um, you're never going to be right, or if you are right in your first time, congratulations, I'd love to talk to you. But oftentimes you have to pivot and take feedback and hear a lot of no's to, really understand and work out the kinks in your theses. And so for us, that was critical. And I know that moving forward, we'll continue to take many more beatings as we go out and build the business. (laughs) But, you know, the ability to one, kind of absorb those punches and two, surrounding yourself with co-founders or colleagues or just mentors, advisors, things, people that will really help you get through those tough processes.
3: Yeah, I think the same thing. I mean, we, We would be naive if we said we we weren't going to make a lot of mistakes going forward. Um, the idea is that we want to limit our mistakes so that they're not catastrophic, but that they're mistakes that we can learn from. Um, so I think any advice for maybe a, a young entrepreneur or somebody that wants to become an entrepreneur is you, you just have to get out there and make a few mistakes and be able to like learn how to lose I guess is the way that I look at it meaning if you were to say like I'm I'm a big person in sports analogies but if you were to look at like even the Golden State Warriors this year right they lost I think nine games and they were considered one of the greatest teams of all time but they still lost right so you can't get discouraged if you lose so to speak so you you have to be able to make some mistakes and learn from them and then just come back wash that from your memory learn what you can and then move on and 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 continue to, to move
1: ahead one last question for me um the listenership here if they could help you guys out with anything what would that be if there's one thing they could make a connection or help address what are your needs here sure so i
2: mike and i are both from originally from denver living in san francisco now and coming into the southeast has been really an eye-opening experience for us in terms of the potential for our market fit down here. So I think as we continue to go out and develop relationships, anybody with convenience store contacts, distributor contacts, CPG brands that are sold in the channel, really anybody that's just interested in the model that would love to come and either deliver another punch or help us out as we go out and build this, we'd love to talk to them.
0: Anything else?
3: No, oh, one last thing, and just to make sure in case he's listening. When I mentioned Nam and Lynn earlier, if Sebi's listening, I had forgotten to mention him. He's been a rock star for us. So those are all the guys on our engineering team that have really made this possible.
0: Very nice. Okay, I think that's all we have. Yeah, thanks, thanks guys. Thanks so much. Thank Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back next week. Real quick, I want to name drop. I want to thank our sponsor, Ryder. I'm sure you've heard of him, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you a blurb. Ryder is all about industry-leading technology, which we happen to be all about, too. They have one of North America's largest fleet of trucks and an expansive infrastructure of maintenance facilities and warehouses and some of the most talented people in the industry. Thank you so much, Ryder. Okay, one more thing. Follow us on Twitter at This Is Dynamo. Reach out, say hello. We'll, we'll say hello back. We want to hear your feedback and your thoughts on the big things happening in logistics, transportation, supply chain, technology, all those things. Okay, have a great week.